Welcome to Fast Frontiers. I am your host, Tim Shigel, Managing Partner of Refinery Ventures. In today's episode, we're bringing you my conversation with Steve Santamaria, CEO of Folio Photonics in Cleveland, Ohio. In today's episode, we're going to dive into Steve's story and background as a boomerang, someone who moved back to Cleveland after working on the West Coast. We're also going to talk about how Steve manages the relationships with his board of directors using a Japanese concept called Nemawashi. The biggest theme, or so what, I hope you take away from this conversation is this, the value of boomerangs to startups in our region. The experience of working in the coastal hypergrowth environment, along with the connections that come with it, can have a huge impact. Steve Santamaria is the Chief Executive Officer at Folio Photonics in Cleveland, Ohio. During his 14-year career at Intel Corporation, he led a wide variety of strategic projects and managed the relationship with Microsoft. Steve has a background in sales, business development, and other startup experience. He is a seasoned technology executive, entrepreneur, and student of disruptive technologies. Please enjoy my conversation with Steve Santamaria. So, Steve, welcome. Thank you, Tim. Pleasure to be here. I should also point out, the uh, disclosure, Refinery Ventures is an investor in Folio, and there's a really um, important reason why a narrative to why we invested in Folio. I'll let Steve tell you more of the, the, the Folio story and how and why he made the decision to come back to Cleveland, and then we'll get to you know, later why we invested. So Steve, uh, help us understand your career, why you went out to the West Coast, and what brought you back. Um, okay, well, I'm a native Midwestern boy. I grew up in the Pittsburgh area. I went to Allegheny College. After college, my career took, my first jobs were in the Cleveland area, and I lived here for a number of years in a variety of different sales roles. The company was acquired by Intel that I was uh, VP of sales at. And when I was got involved with Intel and the executive team that made the acquisition, I, I they took a liking to me. They offered me a job to move to Seattle and to run the Microsoft partnership for Intel. Uh, that was a really my, my first big jump into a, a very large technology company. I've been in sales of a lot of smaller startup companies locally. I, you know, I did well at, at Intel. It's a, um, it's a great environment for you to learn from some really, really intelligent people. And um, I, I partnered up with, I worked for Renee James, who eventually became the president of Intel. And we, she moved up the ranks, I moved up with her, and she kept giving me fun projects to work on for 14 years. Uh, spanned the globe, did quite a bit of travel, did a lot of interesting things. But you know, at the time, at, at the, and then comes to everything, and um, I had been working with Intel Capital. I had a team that did evaluation for deals that Intel would invest in or acquire companies. And I got enamored by one of the companies that um, we're, Intel was investing in, and they offered me the job as chief revenue officer. Uh, I stepped out and took that job. So I got the went from a very large company to an eight-person company. So I jumped real small real quick. I uh, did that for a year and a half or so, and then it was sold and did well. Learned, learned it's a whole different world, the startup world, compared to being big companies. A lot of you know, kind of hard lessons. So what were what what were a couple of the lessons that stood out to you? making that transition from big company to startup? It, it's really about cash flow when you're in a startup company. You have to be mindful of your spend and, and scrutinize every spend. At Intel, if I went over budget, 
I would just go to another division head and I'd borrow a million bucks, $2 million. And no one thought anything about it. You know, in terms of hiring, I could, you know, the, re- the, the assets were, were very fungible. And more importantly, you're backed up by the big bank of Intel. So you really couldn't go under, right? Because they would come to, you might get your hand slapped for being over your budget. But in a startup world, you go over your budget, you're out of business. And so that was kind of shocking um, to, to, to work in those, those financial constraints. And then also just realizing the, you, you don't need as many people as you think you do. You know, I, I kind of, the analogy I always tell people, it's, it's like when I, we go on vacation, I tell my wife, you know, take half the luggage and twice the money. Same thing with a startup, right? You need half the people, but twice the funding. Uh, you don't need that marketing person. You don't need that office manager. You can do it yourself. So at what point did you, so when did, when did you start thinking that you'd move back? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I, I was in Seattle and after, you know, the, the VR company, I was doing a lot of consulting work and flying quite a bit, doing a lot of stuff in Asia, um, particularly in, in Shenzhen, China. And it was kind of there for two weeks, back for two weeks, there, you know, back and forth for about six months. And that was not being, that was not a fun lifestyle. And at the same time, I was interviewing and looking for opportunities in the Seattle area. Uh, my wife is from the Midwest with a very, very large family here. And, you know, she encouraged me. She goes, she said, will you look back in the Midwest? You know, she's from Cleveland. She grew up in Cleveland. She has hundreds of relatives in this area. Because living in Seattle for 17, 18 years, she would, we kept her far from her family. She goes, would you look? And I go, wow, it's not really what I do. But, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'll take a look. And I, I sent my... Um, my resume to a friend who's part of the North Coast Angel Group here in, in Cleveland area, and they circulated it. So it, it was very serendipitous that, that this happened, that um, the, somehow my resume ended up at Case Western Reserve. They had a company they were spinning out. Um, it was high-tech data center business, of which I'm familiar with. It's hardware, which matches up to me, and they're looking for a CEO. And so I I came down, met with them. What we decided to do is we do a try me, buy me. So I did six months worth of consulting as a consultant, kind of a, an acting CEO, reorganizing a bunch of things, chasing a, a different business deals, getting it kind of on the path to commercialization. And had you moved yet at this point? No, my wife and family were still in Seattle. And I would, I would come down for, again, that two week on, two week off uh, type of a scenario, them working remotely in Seattle. The advantage here is I got to live with my mother-in-law, so I had free place to stay when I came to Cleveland. You know, and I, I got to see all the family, and my wife was a little bit jealous of the fact that I'm going out with all our cousins, and while she's back in <laughs> Seattle, and then it became apparent four months into the the, the the agreement that we had that this was working out and something that we had moved forward with, and so I came home. It was Thanksgiving of 2017, and we sat our kids down and said, "We're packing up. We're moving to Ohio." And that was a big moment. Well, it's. It, I think there's so many different things we can learn from that. I mean, the, um, you know, you're what I call boomerang, right? You, you, so you understood the region. You had roots. At some point in your career, you decided it makes sense to come back. You, so you had a, and your wife in particular, uh, had a goal of getting back. The question then was, how do you find, what are the odds you're going to find a tech company that kind of leverages your background and skills in a place like Cleveland, Ohio, and who's going to help you through that process? I mean, it sounds like North Coast Angels was a big help, but that had to have been challenging. Yeah, it's a it's a different environment in, in Ohio 
than in Seattle, especially for a high tech company. There's a, there are elements of friction that I, I wasn't aware of when I first came in. And, and in friction, I mean that everything takes a little bit longer to get done because it's not a, this is not a, a high tech region that has a lot of high tech startups. So some of the resources aren't available. Hiring, for example, is a big one uh, that, that we, we have a challenge with is, it, is trying to find people, optical engineers, servo technicians, these skills which are in abundance on the West Coast or in Colorado or in China are, are rather limited here in, in the Northeast Ohio. And a lot of things I'm trying to do to change that. So you are recruiting is recruit people from out of state and move them back also. So you're not doing as much in-state recruiting. You know, the opportunity I think is very strong and that's what makes people, you know, we, we just hired five people in the last three weeks. So really excited and people are excited to come to work here. Um, and then you get the added advantage. I mean, the advantage is the cost of living in Ohio is, is much better than the cost of living on any of the coasts. And so, you know, these are engineers are coming back and they're, you know, making kind of pay, pay parity moves, but they're buying a bigger house. And, you know, they're excited about getting into certain neighborhoods, especially if they have families and kids that they, they probably were not achievable. Tell us more about, about Folio Photonics specifically. So Folio Photonics, yeah makes a data storage product for archival data storage. And it's one of the, if, if you look at the whole rise of the, the computer, computer industry, the cloud, it's all driven by massive quantities of data being generated. And, and there's a little kind of dirty little secret here is one of the reasons that it's so available, everyone's heard of Moore's Law, and I'm from Intel, so you know, we talk about that, you know, how computers gotten cheaper and more powerful over time. Well, at the same time, the capacity for storage has gone up at the same incredible pace. So I have a, you know, I have a, a, a hard drive from 1980 that went into a, an IBM mainframe. It was, you know, it was like 18 megabytes and it cost $10,000. And now you're, you have multi-terabyte disk. And so the ability to store mass amounts of data, it lets all these things happen, these streaming services, all this, you know, the Amazons, the Googles, all the, the world is all about data and moving data. And so what Folio comes in is saying, we look at that data as, as, as an opportunity because the storing of data, it comes at high cost. The media has a life, certain lifetime, and the needs have changed over time in that, you know, government regulation, people store data for a lot longer. You know, when you put your pictures on Facebook, it's implied that Facebook is going to score, store that data forever. In that example, that means if I if I record a, a video of my dog, uh, it's sitting on a spinning hard drive for years, just in or case ever. I want just in case I want to show you that that video of my dog. Yes, and there's this this is large there's a large amount of data that sits gets used just you know, not use infrequently, but the commitment is we're going to store it. Now that's, you know, we use an example that's kind of a consumer one, but think about it, businesses. You know, businesses, they don't like to delete data, any enterprise, because, you know, you go through all this research and you're creating documents and you're creating material and you just don't know what's, where the next gold mine is going to be. And with the rise of these new AI tools and machine learning, we now have the capability to analyze massive amounts of data, but you can't analyze data if you don't have it. And so, you know, these big repositories of data, it's, it's coming a, a key point, you know, for, for the world. It's who has the most data wins. I mean, you know, they're already looking at Google and Facebook, how to break them up because they have so much data and no one can get, no one can compete. And so it's becoming a, a, a bigger and bigger problem. 
and for us, it's a big opportunity. Uh, the folio media, it's unique in that it can only have been invented in Ohio. It, it, you know, typically when you make a disc, a disc has multiple layers of recording media on it, and it's done, they're manufactured by spin coating, which is just laying layer by layer. And, and for our audience, we're talking about optical, like optical D- DVDs, Blu-rays, Blu-rays, etc. And how That's are those? Correct. How has optical historically been used in, if at all, in data centers? It has it has a small niche in it. Um, it primarily went into the consumer market because an optical disc, a Blu-ray, is perfect size to hold a movie, and so you know vastly went out into the, the consumer markets. There's there's some some people that use it for enterprise. And the advantage of optical is that an optical disc lasts 100 plus years, whereas a, a magnetic disc lasts five. So if you want to save something for 100 years, it's one optical disc versus 20, you know, constantly migrating that data going through it. So today, that data center manager has to choose, keep something on a spinning disc, and that spinning disc is going to fail every three to five years, or put it on tape, right? Or tape. Magnetic tape is another alternative. Which That's is... Right which is really cheap, but if you want to retrieve that data, it can take a very long time because you may have to spin through a mile worth of tape. That's correct. Those tape cartridges are are a marvel of engineering, but they are half a mile long. So if your first name's on on the first inch and your last name's on the last inch, think how long it takes to spool that. And, you know, that's the disadvantage of it. So you can retrieve data on a spinning disk, and that's what they call time to first bit. Right. Time first bet. Yes. In sub one second tape, it would be sub five minutes or something like that. Yeah, that's correct. I mean, if you look at the big archival services based on tape, your your SLA agreement for retrieval can be hours because they have to find the tape, right? So a robotic system finds the tape, pulls it, mounts it, spools it, and they move it. So it could take five hours. You know, I see services that offer you get a day on your retrieval, but that's what you know, that's what you pay for. So this is the opportunity. Portfolio, right, is to to kind of come into that market, which is pretty so significant. So, what's Folio doing? So, if Optical hasn't really had a big presence in the data center, what, why, why is that going to change with Folio? What's Folio doing that's different? Yeah, the, the challenge with Optical in the past is they were they were very happy with the capacity at about 150 gigabytes per disk, and they did not scale the same way that the tape guys and the hard disk guys did in terms of adding capacity. The more you add capacity, it just lowers that overall cost because they're going for a consumer market. So what Folio is able to do is we, we scale by adding additional layers through a unique to Folio extrusion process. So we, we kind of break the manufacturing paradigm and it allows us to get into multi-terabyte disks that, that, that vastly lower that cost. So then it becomes cost competitive, uh, competitive when you're talking about, and we were talking about petabytes and exabytes and zettabytes you know, which are trillions of gigabytes uh, of data being stored. And we become very cost competitive. Then you have the added advantage. Well, it lasts for 100 years plus. It doesn't need power. It can sit cold, right? And, you know, all the advantages of optical come into play there because it isn't magnetic and it has a long life. And so there are a lot of people that are very attracted to that, that, that business value proposition. So you're, you're closer to a spinning disk in terms of time to first bit. You're not exactly the same, but you're closer. And you have the storage and the data... Uh, lifetime is longer than tape because you're not you're not you're, there's no loss there's no magnetic loss of any type and you right. have a lower storage fo- or energy footprint 
And so it's, it's, a, it's a great market for us. And we, we look forward to it. We have a lot of interest going on, uh, work with a number of partners in the U.S. and then in Asia. Slow down a little bit because of the COVID. But, um, you know, we do a lot of late night conference calls using Zoom. So I had heard about Folio technology, the technology, optical data storage at Case, which is where I went to school. And I just glossed over it, right? It wasn't a SaaS company. Forget about it. Hardware. And then our one of our advisors, Bob Pavey of Morgan Thaler fame, who's also uh, from Cleveland, uh, he is an angel investor and he brought it up to me again. And I'm like, okay, here, you know, yeah, whatever, optical data storage. And then he told me about you and how you came together with Dr. Ken Singer. And then that got my attention. Like, yeah. because your network your uh, experience you had on the West Coast with uh, hardware and technology uh, brought so much more because it's not about just the technology, but it's about networking into the industry and matching up the kind of the industry need with the solution. And, you know, the storage market thesis was easy, right? It's like death taxes and storage. Of course, we're going to need more storage. What's interesting is the nature of storage changing to this active archive layer you're talking about. So, so tell me about what, so, so you joined the company and you had some angel investors. Tell me about that, you know, kind of that journey and some of the challenges you were facing getting to the next step. Yeah, the company before I started had done a note and had done a first round of an, an angel round and raised, you know, $2 million. And that's when they decided, look, we could get on a path to commercialization, but nobody in Ohio knows anybody in Asia. Uh, particularly or the West Coast. And that's why when they found me, we had that first um, that first consulting agreement. And one of the things that they asked, we put on my list of deliverables as a consultant was to to find a first, you know, first set of partners that can give us feedback and help guide us. And, you know, and I'm not technically from the storage industry. I am from a hard tech, you know, hardware business. So I took that 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 challenge. And the first thing I did was, you know, you know, called a friend of mine, Bill, at, at Intel, because I worked with him for 14 years, and he ran, he ran Intel's Optane storage business. He was the big VP. So I called him up, and the manager is, it's not a cold call. He knows me. I have a cell phone number. We've had beers together. And I say, hey, I have this startup that I'm working with. They're going into archival data storage. Who do I need to talk to? And he's like, well, you should go talk to Light On in Taiwan because they have an optical storage business. They're an ex-Blu-ray maker and they're trying to move into enterprise with their own jukebox. And he's like, you know, the guy you need to talk to is Charlie Sang, the CEO. And he goes, hang on a second. He puts me on hold. Comes back about two minutes later. He goes, hey, you're, you're scheduled for a call with Charlie next Tuesday at 9.30 your time. So, I, you know, it's that network to help me find the people. I probably wouldn't have found light on, let alone gotten an intro with the CEO without being able to access my network uh, from Intel and, uh, you know, people that I know on the West coast. And that, that's been the model, you know, throughout the last, you know, two years I've been here is that as we identify these partners that we want to work with, whether they're software, their hardware, or their end user, like a big, you know, the Amazons, the Google cloud, et cetera, is that, you know, I go into LinkedIn and I can start working through my network. I know where I want to go and I need to find out who do I know. And fortunate for me, I've been in the industry long enough that have a lot of friends that are senior and a lot of them are in these companies. And so it's, it's very easy to get that first meeting and, you know, it's all they can do is make broker that, but it's, it's a warm call. 
and uh, you, we usually get the meeting, and then it's up to us to establish the value proposition and kind of move it through the process. But it, it, when I first came up with Light On, I remember coming back, and Ken and the board at the time goes, how did you do that? And I go, well, I, I knew Bill, Bill Lisinski, if I'm going to give him props, who knew Charlie, who gave me the, who brokered the intro. And they're like, well, no one in Ohio knows either Light On or Bill Lisinski. I go, yeah, that's the, that's the advantage. That's the, that's the boomerang thing, right? That's what these execs bring back or people who come back from the West Coast. It's that network of people who they knew and where they are now. And now you just try to marry that to some really unique technology that's starting to spring up in the Midwest. Yeah, that, that's why it's so valuable for any ecosystem or region you know, outside Silicon Valley to, I think, actively look for, support, recruit people like you with your background because it doesn't matter how good the technology is, right? Uh, you know, I talked to many universities and they got a bunch of great stuff, but they don't have the network to the people who really know. And you need to navigate that network and you need to do it you know, quickly and with a high level of trust. Right? Yeah, I'm involved locally now. So now that I've been a little bit more established, I get the boomerangs calling me up. You know, the, the other big resource for us is the, is the Folio board. We have a, a tremendous board of directors of which you're part of. And, um, and you, know, you help in a lot of ways other than just funding in giving feedback to me, but also in, in networking and helping us connect. Yeah, share, share the backgrounds of some of your board members and what they bring to the table. Well, you mentioned Bob Pavey, and he's just a tremendous resource. Um, we have the ex-CEO of Panasonic USA, uh, Joe Taylor, who is very instrumental in helping us deal. We're doing work with a lot of Asian companies. You know, and that is a whole different dynamic than the typical U.S. manufacturers. And there are certain traditions you have to follow. And, you know, he coaches and guides me through that. Uh, Felix Bruick. You know, who's retired from McKinsey, just happens to live in Cleveland, and he ran their data center business as a, as a strategist, you know, probably one of the strategic people I've ever met. Fantastic. You know, on the, the financial side yourself and Adam Sharkway of um, Material Impact, you know, guiding us through these different pieces. And, and Ron Richard, right? So Ron's a, a local business leader who also was part of the U.S. government and also Panasonic, who helped us find Joe, but also connects us to InQtel because he was one of the original founders of the InQtel, which is the CIA's investment arm. So all of these people have a vested interest in our success. They're great people. Uh, you know, to, we have, our board meetings are, are, are fun, right? It's, it, it's about playing the what-if scenario of how do we solve problems in front of this company? Like, what do we need to do? You know, and it, it's kind of, I enjoy them. You know, it's, that's not always the case with boards. So with, with your board, I mean, you have a lot of folks that are not afraid to express their opinions, have a lot to offer. So how do you, you know, as a CEO, how do you process that and synthesize that and, and manage it? Yeah, we uh, recently went through a pretty big pivot. Uh, for the company. You know, it's COVID related and, and you know, funding related. The Japanese call it nemawashi, which is, uh, you know, the ability to kind of have the conversation before, so it's not a, a free-for-all, the board meeting. Our pivot went into opening a second office in Colorado to take advantage of resources there, which is a pretty big commitment for a company our size to spend that amount of money. And then also to, to, to build our own reader writer that sits on top of the disk. So we've been working with partners and still continue to do so, but building our own design, you know, well, on both ends of the equation, it was a something that 
that originally we didn't want to do because there's a, a bit of money involved in, in building something like this. We, we got introduced to a certain team that became available in the Colorado area. They put together a plan and, you know, we wanted to pull the trigger on it, but, you know, it's a, it's a significant commitment for the company, a little bit, a little bit of change from the past strategy. So what, what, what does Nemawashi mean? Okay. It's an, in Japanese, it means an informal process of quietly laying the foundation for some proposed change. And it means, like you said, going around the roots so that, you know, when they would transplant plants, I guess, in gardening in Japan, that they, they first dig around the plant they want to transplant and they take soil from the place where they're going to move it to and they put it around the plant for a couple of weeks so the plant gets, kind of gets used to it, then they dig it up and move it. And so for me, it's, it's like, it's to come to a, a, a good decision, but understanding all of the objections before it happens, right? Uh, and and it's, it's especially important now because our board meetings are not in person, they're over Zoom. And, and this, the Zoom piece of it, you know, they're not connected with one another as much and you can't read body language as well. And so what we did was in the two weeks before, prior to the board meeting, we, we softly introduced the concept going, hey, you know, this is what we're thinking about. This is a strategic benefit to the company. It'll allow us to control our own destiny on the product side, but there's costs associated with it. And we just closed raising some raising funds, so we had funds available to do it. But this is how it impacts our burn rate, this is how it changes our roadmap. Kind of laid out all the pieces to it and kind of went around and heard your feedback. And some said, well, you know, and I took that, got answers, and it kind of set it up and made for just a very smooth board meeting. So when we brought the topic up, it's like, okay, you know, we've talked about this to most of you or to all of you, but let's kind of summarize it again. These are the steps we want to go through. These are the advantages. These are the challenges we will have to overcome. Got feedback from a lot of people on, on how to do this better. And, you know, we want approval to go forward. And so after 20 minute conversation, it was approved. And, uh, you know, and there were no surprises. No one was surprised. No one was upset. No one was shocked. No one threw that wild objection out. It was just a, a very business-like conversation. I, it, 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 it was a, you know, a Zen moment in the board, right? It was, it was good. I, it's I very, it's very it. Japanese. I used to do work for Hitachi there uh, years ago. And it's, yeah, you, you don't, you don't come out and make a assertion or declaration or decision. You make a suggestion. Yeah. And if you see that people are all shaking their heads, then okay, then we'll move forward. But you know, if they don't, then you know to do some more homework. It, it's just a, yeah, it, it, it puts more work on, on, on my shoulders, but I'm fine with that because it's like, and when you bring it up beforehand, you know, here are the rental properties. These are the costs associated with one-year lease, two-year lease, three-year lease, you know, all these different things. It forces you to do a little bit more diligence. And when you offer, this is the plan, then always one of the board members goes, oh, I did that once before in a previous life. Because they have this vast experience. And they go, this is how we kind of managed it. Let's talk about the help and, and what it's been like to work with one Case Western Reserve University, where the technology and licensing came from, and then also uh, a little bit about recent events with Jobs Ohio. Okay, so you know, Case, our founder Ken Singer is a professor of physics at Case, and the the concept for this company was nurtured inside of. Uh, inside of his labs there, and the tech transfer office was part of it. And we have our licensing from Case. They've been super supportive uh, in terms of, you know, we 
have a number of interns and employees that come out of that pipeline, out of that school, as you can imagine. Where they can, they try to be helpful in making introductions to interesting, not only businesses, but venture communities. Their, their reach is, 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 is actually a lot larger than you would expect for a school that size. I mean, it's not like Stanford, but it's, it's still, it's pretty significant. And they've been helpful in doing that. And they've been actively engaged in working with us from, you know, Ken and his peers who are very knowledgeable of what we're doing and what we're, we're up against. You know, and I, I appreciate that. I mean, I embrace the universe as much as we can. And then, uh, well, before we get to Jobs Ohio, I guess it's important to maybe cover uh, the other investor that came in first after us, anyway, uh, Material Impact. Material Impact, yes. And that was, you know, thanks to you. I mean, this is, hats off. You know, we transitioned from angel funding to where we start bringing in more venture money. A couple of advantages, uh, you know, big one, check sizes are larger. And you start bringing in people and companies that have skills and assets that can help the company move to the next step. You know, I, my, my angel investors are, are super people. Not a lot of them are familiar in the material space or the data center space, um, or, you know, or in high tech. So you bring your technology background that helps us. You introduced us to, for example, the recruiter that we now use for hiring. It, you know, it's, it's that informal networking and then the day-to-day coaching that you provide me. So adding material, that's out of material impact. Yeah, they're, and they're based in, just so people understand, material impact's based in Boston, they just closed their second fund at 200 million. Yeah. And they're really good at frontier tech, hardware, software, materials, Carmichael Roberts, Adam Sharkway. So, so they have deep, deep science technology background, and they're very good at kind of working with the, the big elephants, you know, the, 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 the major industry partners and figuring out how to do licensing deals, et cetera. So they seemed like they should be the perfect partner for Folio. Yeah, they're, they're a great fit. You know, they've been now investors for about six months. We've had four board meetings and we've had countless other meetings beforehand and 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 post the investment with Adam and then with Corinna. Uh, been super, super helpful. Uh, we're in a project right now where they're actively engaged. It's we're, we are remapping the ecosystem. So now that we're a company that has a, a media but a drive so now it changes kind of dynamics um, of who you want to talk to and opens up new vistas for us to, to work with. But it also gives the company even more legitimacy. So as we, we start adding venture money in and, and these, these names, it's, I, I noticed that the people that, the inquiries that we get, um, we get more attention on the coast, right? Well, I think there's a lesson there also for startups, again, in regions like the Midwest or what have you. Could you raise enough money from investors, angels, and individuals, and family offices, and ventures firms in the Midwest to grow the company? Yes. But the network effect you get by bringing in some of the capital from the coast is also, well, it's way more valuable than the money. Yeah, not all money is created equal, right? A dollar is a dollar, but you know, a dollar with the soft benefit of access to the network, you know, feedback and certain things, that's, that's the dollar 25 you get for the dollar invested. It, 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 it's just the reality of it. You know, it just, it's, it's a different conversation. And it helped you with Jobs Ohio, right? And with Jobs Ohio. So you, you alluded to that, you know, as Ohio company, we have, we had looked for years at all the different entities that invest in Ohio. And for one reason or another, we, we never were able to connect and get a deal done. 
Uh, Jobs Ohio had come up on multiple occasions, talk because they've heard about Folio. We're high tech. We're hiring, you know, you know, you know, engineers. You know, the, these in businesses that are growing. You know, as they're trying to they're trying to help transition the state into into more of a technology footprint. And you know, right when the pandemic started, they said that um, they had opened up an innovation fund, and uh, they approached us saying, "Hey, is there something we can do here?" And truthfully, it's that funding, that larger chunk of uh, of funding that came in that allowed us now to to look at the 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 team in Colorado and move forward with that a little bit more aggressively because it extended our runway an additional year year and a half and and gave us the ability to to move to move a little more give a little more freedom to move aggressively yeah I think but it's a great example of how they can help support companies like folio uh, who are already shown you know, to reduce some of the risks and have enormous potential, you know, for the state and for jobs. Uh, so it's, again, a, it's a really great example. You know, back to the comment that not all money is created equally. So since we did the funding with them, I did my first business trip since February as I drove down to Columbus to meet with the team who we did this all virtually. So I met with them, gave them an update. And, and before coming, I said, you know, these are the type of customers I'm looking to talk to you know, there are big data centers in the state of Ohio. There are big users, including the state of Ohio itself, big military installation town of Dayton. I said, these are the people I want to talk to. And so they set up additional meetings for me in Columbus with the Ohio Supercomputing Group, Ornet, and all these other people that are just, they're fantastic. I have a list of follow-up items from that meeting as, you know, as an Ohio technology company, you know, realize that some of the largest customers in the world for data storage products are here in Ohio, you know, help me get introduced and engaged with them, help the company. And they, you know, they stepped up to that and they, they've done that. And they keep looking, what else can we do to help you out? How can we do this? And so they've been, a, a, you know, actively engaged also in terms of, you know, helping this company as we navigate this path to commercialization. So super happy about that. Yeah, that's great. Well, Steve, I um, obviously, we have a rooting interest, so uh, you know, uh, personally, selfishly, want you to succeed. But, but actually, even more importantly, I think what you're doing for Northeast Ohio, for the state, to show how we can partner uh, entrepreneurs with the kind of tech and growth background you have, with the technology that's coming out of so many of our great universities around around the country, is a great example. And I look forward to being able to reference Folio as, as, a, as a huge success rate. So you already have a, a lot of success on your progress, but the, the opportunity is so enormous uh, yeah. that uh, I, I wish you all the best. Yeah, I think, you know, time is now for Ohio. And if you're a tech startup company, this is a good place. There are a lot of smart people. They usually graduate from school, then they fly out west. But let's try to keep them in here and let's move them back. I mean, it's a, it's a great place to be to have a startup right now. And, you know, even in the two years that I've been here now, it's gotten better, right? There are more resources. People are kind of figuring out what startups need. So it's a, it's a, it's a good place to be right now. We're real happy here. Good. Well, thanks to you. People will be inspired and, <laughs> and you, you, you provide a great model. So thank you very much, Steve. Thanks for thank being you. on Fast Frontiers. And thanks, Tim. I appreciate everything you've done for us, which has been a great deal. You got it. All right. Thanks for listening to Fast Frontiers. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website, fastfrontiers.com. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others and give us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform. Join us next week when we bring you my conversation with John Medved, founder and CEO of R-Crowd.